they don't have a lot of skin access. Maybe yeah. they just have a couple pockets of fat. So I'll use myself as an example. So no matter how thin or in shape that I get, I will always have like love handles. No matter what, I just always have those pockets of fat. Even, you know, I'm 5'10 and in high school, I was like 125 pounds. <laughs> and did I have those love handles? Yes, I did. And so what I will say is liposuction can sometimes be a big benefit just for those little areas of stubborn fat. And so underneath the chin area, the jawline can be a great area to kind of sculpt. It can really make the patients feel a lot more like themselves too, because that might be an area where they just carry a little bit more, no matter, you know, they get down, but some people say, oh, it's the, you know, Martin neck. Welcome to the Dr. Ashley Show. Welcome to the Dr. Ashley Show. I'm Dr. Ashley, and today I am grateful to be sharing an episode with you where I have two doctors on the show, Dr. Clavin and Dr. Baker, who are two weight loss surgeons, plastic surgeons. And I dive in deep with them as to what to do about skin, what can we do to minimize the excess skin that we've got after weight loss, all the tips and tricks when it comes to healthy looking skin, which we all want. So first I'd like to introduce Dr. Shauna Clavin. She's a board certified plastic surgeon based in Charlotte, North Carolina. She has garnered a strong reputation for her expertise in working with patients who have undergone massive weight loss. Dr. Clavin's commitment to excellence extends far beyond her surgical practice as she actively engages in teaching and mentoring fellows and residents, imparting her extensive knowledge and techniques to the next generation of plastic surgeons. With a deep passion for patient wellness, Dr. Clavin goes above and beyond to ensure her patients receive the highest level of care. She understands that plastic surgery is not solely about physical transformation, but also about improving self-confidence and overall well-being. Dr. Clavin's unwavering dedication to her craft, combined with her genuine concern for her patients, has established her as a trusted and respected plastic surgeon in the Charlotte area. And then we also have Dr. Brett Baker joining us, and he is a plastic surgeon also in Charlotte, North Carolina, specializing in surgery for weight loss. He completed a full general surgery training where he had extensive training and caring for the weight loss patients prior to completing his plastic surgery training at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Baker prioritizes health and fitness at home with his wife and three sons by promoting team sports, daily workouts at home, and physical activities outside. He personally enjoys being outside in the water or snow, skiing, hiking, or fly fishing. He's currently working on building a family homestead with his wife to grow fruits and vegetables to teach his sons more about healthy foods that build the foundation for a nutrient-rich lifestyle. Personally modeling and advocating a healthy lifestyle at a sustainable and healthy weight makes relationships with his weight loss patients a natural fit. So without further ado, I welcome Dr. Clavin and Dr. Baker to the show. Thanks you guys so much for joining me. I am so honored for you to be here with me today. For all of those of you tuning in who've watched and listened to a lot of my shows, if my voice sounds a little off, I'm recovering from a cold, so just bear with me. But I've been so excited for these doctors to join me that I didn't want to cancel or postpone. So thank you guys for being here today. Yeah. You're very welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're very excited as well. Awesome. Well, Dr. Baker, maybe if you can start off, we were talking about this before we started recording, Mm -hmm. and I was saying that I've got a lot of clients who come in and... Um, they're hesitant to get started on their weight loss journey simply because of the fear around what their skin is going to look like. What's going to happen if they drop 60 pounds, 80 pounds, or even 100 pounds plus? 
So I'd like to have you speak to that. Uh, what would you say plastic surgery and how that interplays with a comprehensive weight loss plan and how it can benefit someone? What would you say to those fears and sure. what would you recommend? So I would say that um, surgery is just one component of a more holistic overall improvement after weight loss. And so the fear of having excess and lax skin after that much weight loss is absolutely going to be there. But we have lots of procedures that can help address that from surgical to non-surgical. The higher the weight loss, though, the less likely a non-surgical option is going to give you the result that you're looking for. In terms of surgery, as I said, it's only a component of the greater picture of getting a patient back to what they feel and what they are seeing in the mirror. We are just trying to help get them to feeling their best self. What is the amount of weight that most people drop where they wouldn't even need to consider surgery for skin situations? Is there an over under? There, so each person is very different. And what I will say is oftentimes our older patients can't tolerate as much weight loss as our younger patients because younger patients have just more collagen elasticity to, to their skin. So they tend to bounce back a lot faster. But we also have some really young patients who undergo, you know, even 30 pounds weight loss and see a significant amount of change. That also depends on your height and your overall structure and where you lose that weight. So each person is different, but I think anywhere, you know, 40, 50 pounds and higher, you're going to notice some changes. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely 75, definitely 100 pounds. Um, I just got out of the operating room. That's why my, my hat's still on, but just did a massive weight loss patient. She lost over a hundred pounds and we addressed her arms, her breasts, her buttock area and her entire torso. So big surgery, um, but life-changing for her. A lot of excess skin was removed. I, I poked my head and yeah. it looked awesome. It looks very, yeah. very good. It Can you tell me a little bit about that? What is she going to be going through? Why did she decide to have the surgery? Of course. So she lost over a hundred pounds through diet and exercise. She, you know, uses a trainer and she is ripped. When I tell you she is ripped, I'm pretty sure she could beat me up, yeah. um, but she noticed that the excess skin wouldn't go away no matter how much she worked out, no matter how much she tried to, you know, do squats, do these sorts of things to fill it out. It wasn't going and so a lot of our patients are kind of in that scenario where they've done the weight loss, they've been through this journey, and no matter what they do, their bodies aren't kind of responding the way that they want to. So she came in, she wanted a little bit more volumization of her breasts because she had lost some weight there, which is very common in women. She had excess skin hanging off her arms, even though she had some nice, pretty nice biceps and stuff going on. And she just had skin kind of hanging off her torso area as well. And so I was able to, with my lovely team here at HKB, be able to, as I say, I kind of act as a tailor. And so remove that excess skin and really kind of give her her shape back because she's really good at hiding her skin when she's in clothes, but outside of clothes, it's really mm -hmm. hard, hard to hide that skin. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for her. Yeah. It's going to be great. It is. Yeah. You know, I always say that for the folks who have dropped all this weight and they've gone through so much effort and commitment and discipline, if they're still not comfortable in their skin, then why not make a change in the way that you're able to help people? It's a big deal. They should get the comfort of feeling good in their body. I think that's my perspective about it. Oh, I agree. And so many times our patients come in and I'm like, 
congratulations. Like you did this, you know, this is all you, they worked so hard and we totally recognize that. And we're like, we're just the finish line. I'm here to uncover the work you've done. And that's really our job is to kind of be there for them and, and let them truly see all that work. Yeah. So does the approach in how someone goes about the weight loss impact their skin health and just overall appearance? The more rapid the weight loss, the less likely the skin is to snap back. The the elasticity Mm -hmm. is not going to be there, but it's patient to patient dependent. There's no hard and fast rules that I could say, oh, if you lose one pound a week, you're good. Your your skin's going to Mm -hmm. recoil because it depends on the patient. It depends on genetics, um, as Dr. Kleban said, collagen and so Unfortunately, it's just how it goes. Um, so no, there is not any hard and fast rules, but the more rapid the weight loss and overall generalization would be that the more rapid the weight loss, the more likely there is to have laxity of skin. I could see that just because the body's not being given any time for the skin to have time right. to come back in. Right. It's more of a shock. But it's uh, an example that um, can, is sometimes used that we sometimes talk about is that Skin is like, if you think about a balloon, uh, just a simple party balloon, that if you mm-hmm. you inflate a balloon and look at it, it is now a little bit stretched out. And that's how human skin is often. And so no matter how much or how quickly, how slowly the weight is lost, often there is skin laxity, especially with the larger larger amounts of weight loss. That mm-hmm. I could see that. You know, I do have a lot of clients at PhD and we go about it in a way where they're getting really great protein, animal protein, high bioavailability, healthy fats, no severe calorie restriction. And they're actually surprised at the way that their skin looks afterward. I'm not saying that with significant weight loss, they don't have excess skin there, but it's a little bit less significant than I think they expected it to be. So I was just wondering if there's something about that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, protein is the building block of, you know, healing and nutrition and all of those sorts of things. And, that's, it's really important to make sure you're getting your micro and macronutrients for not only just day-to-day life, but also for our patients, you know, preoperatively and postoperatively to be able to heal from these big surgeries. Protein is super important and getting the appropriate diet before and after is such a big thing. Actually, that was one of my questions. Can you speak to that as to what is your recommendation around nutrition in regard to these surgeries pre and post? All right. So obviously, um, high protein for sure, um, mm-hmm. both pre and post, and okay. then to maintain a adequate caloric intake. So the body, there's all kinds of formulas that we learn in med school out there that when people are under stress and surgery is a stress, yeah. that you actually need to increase your caloric intake. But um, we're big into rehydration after surgery. So initially, um, especially early on, we want people drinking as much water as they can, as close to a gallon of water actually a day to diuresis to um, basically urinate off the excess fluid that they take on during surgery. We want high protein, and then we also want folks to increase their calories, but obviously um, macro, holistic foods, not junk food. Yeah. When you say high protein, what is that? What gram per pound body weight would you say? Um, We usually do kilos, but it's at least one to two grams per kilo. Mm Mm-hmm. Great. Well, Dr. Baker, can you describe your understanding of body dysmorphia in weight loss patients and its effects on surgery? Sure. Yeah. So um, we were talking before we started recording about this just a little bit, but um, this, in preparation for this podcast and talking with uh, other patients, I have asked uh, about uh, patients occasionally are not pleased with how 
their results have come out and you ask them what it is, but they, everybody's telling them how great they look, but like, they yeah. will often not be able to pinpoint what's wrong. They're just like, I'm just not happy. And talking with folks as they go through the recovery journey, I've talked to a couple of patients who have come out on the other side and realized it was body dysmorphia all along. In this one patient in particular I was speaking with, she said, I formerly was 270 pounds. When I look in the mirror, I still think I'm 270 pounds. And yeah. she now weighs 135 pounds. And so we, you know, did, um, removed excess skin from her abdomen, her back, her arms, and did a breast lift as well. And she still didn't feel as good as she looked. And so she, so um, it took a, uh, took a little while to figure out why folks were not happy with how their results were turning out because they do look very good. And it ended up being as you, as folks get through to the other side, it's body dysmorphia. And so um, I've asked patients, how do you cope with that or how do you manage that? And they say that it's having supportive people, having self-love, and then also just looking at the before and after um, pictures objectively and realizing um, how things have changed ends up being the um, biggest contributor to them improving and being able to accept that their body is no longer 270 pounds and it's now 130 pounds, but that it's a journey. It's an up and down roller coaster journey. So some weeks they're good, some weeks they don't feel as good about themselves. Um, but it's a slow, steady progress towards improved self-image. And that's all we're here to do is help folks realize that. Does that perspective actually change over time? Is that what you've heard from your patients? It does. And you can see it for sure. People um, are often come in um, just not excited um, with how they're looking. And, you know, the nurses will be like, you look awesome. Look how good you're, look how good you look, or, you know, something to that effect. And patients are like, yeah, I get, you know, it's looking okay. But then as they get along, then they start realizing that it was, the nurses were not, um, not fabricating. We're not exaggerating. Mm -hmm. They do look awesome. They, as Dr. Cleveland said earlier, they've done all this work to lose weight and we're here just to show that off and just to remove the excess skin. I'm sure there are quite a few patients who go through the process of plastic surgery and are much happier with the results after it. Would you say that that's the case for most people? Well, majority of folks are happy with the mm -hmm. results. And when I say that they come in, they're just, um, it's initially that often, not often, but occasionally folks come in and they're just not as excited as we are um, in the office, as the nurses are. Oh, look, look how good that patient looks. And that occasionally happens. And you realize that those are the patients that are suffering the worst from body dysmorphia. And it took, it took me again, a while to realize that it was not a switch that instantly happened after surgery, that all of a sudden they can't just objectively look in the mirror and be like, Oh, I look, I look much better than yeah. I did three weeks ago. And just, it's hard for folks to see that. Dr. Kleban, were you going to say something? Oh, um, I was going to say that, you know, with uh, the, the reason that we do this is because patients come in happy. I don't think we would be doing this job if most of our patients weren't happy. Yeah. I think it would be pretty hard to do a job that is, you know, purely elected surgery. We're doing something that a patient wants. And if the vast majority of our patients were unhappy, I don't think we'd be able to do this job. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I chose to be an aesthetic plastic surgeon and do these types of surgeries is because I like being around happy people, happy patients. I love seeing the success stories. I love hearing the success stories. And so I don't, I don't think that, you know, probably the vast majority, I'd say over 90 plus percent of our patients are happy. 
even mm-hmm. those that aren't happy are at least able to say, okay, I do see a difference. <laughs> I do see right. that it's better, but maybe I'm not happy with myself and maybe I need to work on that, you know, with, you know, my own self-image with oftentimes therapy too. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of self-image that is not just tied up in our physical appearance, but also how we interact in the world in so many other different ways. Yeah. You know, I think that dropping weight is a process of letting go. I always say that it's letting go of the excess fat weight that doesn't serve us anymore and all the emotions and beliefs that are tied to it. So I think that they go in tandem and oftentimes we can see the body shift, but then the mind isn't shifting at the same rate. And I think that's when we find those things that are in disalignment Uh, when the person hasn't let go of those emotions and beliefs. And it just might take a little bit longer for the mind to catch up with the body. Um, So it is definitely a part of the process. I think you articulated that better than what I was trying to articulate. But yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That the mind just isn't quite quite on the same speed as the body, for sure. We we rapidly change things with surgery, and the mind is um, occasionally not um, ready to perceive that. That's right. And that's, that's true for not just our massive weight loss patients, but for a lot of our patients is, yeah. you know, it's a new physicality that you're living in. And so you're used to being you. And when you see a change in the mirror, you can't make that congruent for a while. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it takes several months, even for say, you know, our breast augmentation patients, they're going to think, okay, well, I'm a little too big. I'm a little too small. I'm a little too this. I'm a little too that. And that's okay. But usually we say, just give it a little bit of time. Because in a little bit of time, you'll be able to say, okay, this is my body. This is how I look. Yeah, this is what I wanted. I did. I do look great. And it's not us trying to convince the patients that they're looking good, but it's just trying to give them time to get through that that change of kind of their external appearance. Because you've seen yourself a certain way for so, so long that it, it can be difficult sometimes. It's like, you know. Yeah. This is the positive side of it, but the negative side is people who are in, say, a traumatic accident or something and have to live with the new version of themselves. That can be a big process, too. This is a very similar kind of psychological process, but everyone around them says, oh, you look amazing. You look so great. Why don't you see it? And so it can it can be, it yeah. can be hard. And I guess I should go back to the earlier comment. I said that the nurses are saying how great patients, they're not selling them. They, <laughs> we are a team that we're all here because we have a common goal of having good results, having good, very good surgical results and having happy patients for sure. And the nurses are just as excited as we are to celebrate when a patient has had a transformation and looks as good. Yeah, and when, it's exciting. You know, to patients, um, it is the easiest patient to flip from one day to the next day. There's a huge, there's a stark difference in how they appear. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's one of the biggest changes we can perform in, sur- in plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. So who then is a candidate for skin removal surgery like you guys are talking about? So there's a a lot of different indications for for skin removal surgery. So probably the the biggest indication is patients who have excess overhanging skin that's impeding their day-to-day function or impeding their ability to wear clothes and those sorts of things. Ideally, we like our patients to be at a stable weight within about 10 to 15 pounds of their goal weight. And we usually say that that should be kind of guided by, you know, their weight loss provider, or, you know, sometimes they have a weight loss surgeon, their primary care physician, kind of finding that ideal weight, a nutritionist, their, whoever they're working with to kind of get to their ideal weight. 
The reason that we say that is that that's going to give them the best results possible. It's going to lead to longevity of their results, but also the ability to remove the maximum amount of excess skin. And so that's what we, we want patients to maintain, but also so that we can get them the results they're looking for. And so something as simple as, you know, skin that's overhanging over the abdomen that's rubbing can cause rashes and all sorts of things that make life a lot more difficult for patients. And so that can be something that we can make a huge difference in their lives. Not only do they fit better in clothes, but they don't have to deal with kind of the medical issues surrounding kind of the skin rubbing on, on itself. And a lot of our patients um, then are able to drop even more weight after sometimes losing some of the skin that's impeding their ability to work out. Do they have to be at that maintenance weight for a certain period of time before you can usually, operate? Usually we say, you know, I mean, I'm happy to see patients wherever they are in their journey. And we kind of go through counseling, okay, well, you're here, you know, this is where you want to be. And so we'd like you to be stable for several months, usually ideally at least six months um, before undergoing surgery, ideally a year. Everybody's different, especially if you're stable, but maybe you go up and down five, 10 pounds. That's okay. Yeah. We're, unfortunately, we're all human. <laughs> Some days I weigh five, five pounds more than the other, just depending on if I had water that day, which as a surgeon, sometimes we neglect. Today, you didn't get much water. <laughs> Today, I was operating straight from 9.30 until I just walked right in. So, And you just uh, talked about helping a lady drop this excess skin. What about men? Do they get these surgeries too? Definitely. My brother's actually a massive weight loss patient. So he underwent a gastric sleeve, actually, and that's how he had mm -hmm. his weight loss. But he lost over 100 pounds. And he had skin removal all the way around the trunk. So what we call a lower body lift or circumferential abdominoplasty and some skin removal in kind of the chest area as well. So men are just as much candidates as women. And the procedures that we perform for them are a little bit different. And we want everything to be individualized to the patient. Mm -hmm. And so for men, we're trying to masculinize the body and kind of show off the masculine features of the body. With women, it's more about creating feminine curves and trying to highlight the femininity of the woman, if that's what they want, of course. But that's that's generally the majority of our patients are kind of looking for one of those two kind of ideals. And we are usually, because, and especially folks that have had a lot of weight loss, that even if it's not only skin, if there's still some adipose tissue, some fat tissue that's remaining, but there's often a framework that we can work with. And so we're just there to accentuate or to yeah. show off the work that's already been done. And so, like Dr. Kleeman said, there is um, a set of procedures that are geared towards women, but um, similar procedures are done in men, but it's the technique that we use that's just slightly different um, depending on which sex rear and what their patient's goals are. Um, whether to be masculinized or feminized. Hmm. What's the recovery like for something similar to what your brother went through? So I tell patients there's several stages of recovery. Okay. So <laughs> I say that the first two weeks kind of suck. They're the biggest part of the recovery, the most intense. We walk you through it, but that's when you're going to be feeling the most uncomfortable especially if we do muscle tightening, which is indicated mostly for women more than men. After having pregnancies, the rectus abdominis muscles tend to separate, which can get the- I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. So really common. And so with that procedure it tends to be even more, a little bit more comfortable, like you've done a thousand crunches. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm comfortable for those first two weeks, but after those first two weeks, patients come in and they say, Dr. Cleveland, you're so right. I feel so much better now. And I got through those two weeks and I'm feeling so much better. But then the next four weeks, so for six weeks of the recovery, there's still quite a bit of swelling on board. They're sick and tired of kind of being sick and tired, so to speak, mm-hmm. because the effects of general anesthesia and your body being in an overdrive healing takes a lot out of you. So I'm a little bit more fatigued. Um, that's why getting all those micro and macronutrients are so important. And so by that six week mark, they're able to kind of increase their activity, go back to most every physical activity, including heavy lifting. Um, and about 85% of the swelling is gone at that point. But the next you know, six to nine months after that, even a year, that's the final result. So usually at about a year, a little bit after a year, that's kind of where we say, yes, all of your swelling's gone, your scars are matured, things have settled back completely. So there's there's mm. different phases. I think the biggest amount of recovery is those first six weeks. Most of our patients take off only about two weeks from work. Some a little oh, bit. Really? Two weeks, that's it. Yep. And then, you know, light duty for another few weeks after that, because we don't want heavy lifting that can pull the scars and make them fall, you know, be wide. Basically, we don't want wide. We want pretty scars. So Mm -hmm. after those first two weeks, most patients can go back to work, but full activity and full exercise, usually at about a month, month and a half. Wow. Anything that we do on the core, as Dr. Cleveland was saying, that when we do the plication for the, when the rectus diastasis, you just don't know all the core exercises, core activity you do every single moment of every day, just to sit upright, to get out of bed, everything mm-hmm. is sore. The first one to two weeks is definitely tough, but people start to see the light at the end of the tunnel between weeks one and two about the soreness. I had a patient who said it took her to week five before she felt like herself, and that's because she put on makeup, got dressed up, she felt nice, and that's yeah. when she realized that things were definitely headed in the right direction, but it, everybody's a little bit different. And so you can immediately see the results within that first week. Within two weeks, you're starting to see results, but there's definitely still some swelling on board. But by six weeks, you're seeing great results. Um, and then it is, as Dr. Cleveland said, the next few months where the final swelling, that last 10, 15, 20% swelling decreases, that's when you see the final, final result. There are stages and we can see those stages pretty early on and we like to celebrate those for sure. Yeah. I was just talking to a fellow who said he flew to Hungary to get a hair transplant, came back and said it'd be about nine to 12 months till he could actually see the results. So it's sounding like, you know, similar there. <laughs> yeah, and hair transplant is actually really interesting. We offer hair transplant here too. Oh, do you? He didn't yeah. have to go to Hungary. No, you don't you have to. Don't have to <laughs> but what is interesting about hair transplant is that it's all based on the, the phases of hair growth and loss. And so when the hair is transplanted, it kind of goes into shock and everything mm-hmm. falls out. And then you, it has to regrow from the follicle. So that's why it yeah. takes so long. Which um, I didn't know that. Like six months, six, nine yeah. months. So that's why it happens. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. then Dr. Baker, what is it about this type of surgery that most people wish they knew ahead of time? Yeah. So I've asked a few patients um, what they wish they known. So that way I can start covering my bases, give a more informed um, talk before surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that people have told me, um, liposuction is painful. And so, is uh, it? yeah. And so one patient said that the lipos, uh, so, um, did an abdominoplasty. So again, the mm-hmm. plication, what we usually tell, at least what I tell folks is that previously to this conversation was that the plication is the most painful thing we do in plastic mm-hmm. surgery, uh, plicating the abdominal muscles back together because it's a fascia. 
it has nerves, the muscle has a nerve. And so bringing that, those muscles back together is the most tender. That's what I used to tell folks and this patient corrected me and said, no, 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 it's the liposuction that's the most painful. And so it's a burning sensation across the skin. And we put in numbing medicine um, at the time of the procedure, but that's gonna wear off. And so for the next several days, there is some um, burning sensation to the skin. Mm. And so um, that's one thing that folks have told me that the burning sensation after liposuction is real. Um, some other um, points that folks have made to me are looking at the Facebook group uh, messages. And so the weight loss community, there's, there's several different communities out there about the weight loss, the transgender community is another one, breast augmentation community is another one, facial feminization, um, these communities get together online and social media forums and talk and find um, breast implant illness is another one that's um, big right yeah. now. And so folks will get together and talk about their symptoms and who they're seeing as for their surgery and what their post-op recovery has been like. And a couple of patients have said that they would now advise other patients to be hesitant um, and to take that with a grain of salt when they go on these Facebook group, because mm -hmm. there's so much negativity because people you have to think about the people that are going to post on these groups are either people that are super happy mm -hmm. or people that are really upset and people usually are motivated by really upset more frequently than just about any other to post online. And so she said that she wished she had done the surgery years before because she was so happy with her brachioplasty, which is an incision to remove the excess skin, which Dr. Cleveland did today on another patient, but removing her skin. She's like, I had no idea that the scar was an A healed as well, or it was going to be such a, a quick recovery. I'd been reading horror stories on these Facebook groups. And another right. patient said similar things about the abdominoplasty um, that she thought it was going to, how terrible it was going to be. She saw all these results that people had had scars and their incisions were very high and opening up and their belly buttons, their umbilicus was dying and all, all these things that happened to folks out there, but they just Again, those are the horror stories and those are not the majority of folks that, and we have very good results. And so um, those couple of things were mentioned to me um, and that the thinking about the post-op complications, I guess, is what folks often are hesitant. At least a couple of patients have told me that they're most hesitant because they worry about what's going to happen post-operatively. And yeah. so my advice and these patients have said, just go in for a consult and see go to somebody who is will inform you will give you an accurate assessment and give you realistic expectations and that's what we're here to do is to absolutely give the most realistic expectations and give informed consent and let patients decide together with us what the best procedure is to move forward but to just hear about all of the potential risks of surgery the benefits of surgery and together we can decide on a surgical plan yeah, that's great that they have you there to do that. Are there any other myths and misconceptions that you guys can bust when it comes to these type of things? Um, I think that that's a, a great point. A lot of our patients say, I wish I would have done this sooner. And I think there is a lot of fear about what it's going to feel like, what it's going to look like, how what recovery is going to be like. Mm -hmm. um, and our patients, I mean, far and away, we're not just talking about our patients, but plastic surgery patients usually do pretty well. If you're healthy, if you know you go to a board certified plastic surgeon, um, all of those sorts of things are gonna help you kind of be set up for success. And you wanna go to a surgeon that specializes in the type of surgery that you do. So we do a lot of massive weight loss surgery or a lot of body contouring surgeries. And so we're very well equipped to handle these types of patients. We have the staff that's trained to be able to help us with the dressings and they know what's going on. So it's not something that 
is new. We know we've seen all the complications that there can be. We're, you know, everything has risks. And I tell some of the patients sometimes, you know, you took probably a bigger risk today getting in your car and coming to see me for this appointment than some of the risks associated with your surgery. But we all make calculated risks every day. And so um, I would say probably one of the biggest things that I think is important, it's not necessarily a myth to bust, but a really important thing for patients to know is that if you go through this journey, don't do it alone. Having a support system is key, which I'm sure is very true for the weight loss yeah. journey in general. Mm -hmm. um, some of the other myths are that you can't combine certain surgeries together. So that you can't combine, say, an arm surgery with a leg surgery, or that you can only do two surgeries at once. And a lot of that has to do with how how long the patient's under anesthesia. And so we try to limit to, to about six or seven hours under anesthesia wow. at a time and space those about three months apart. So you can have, you know, first stage, second stage, third stage sometimes, depending on your, the overall size, what we're doing, you know, um, do you need liposuction? That takes more time. Do you need, you know, the incision all the way around your body? Do you just need one in the front for a tummy tuck? Do you need one all the way around and up and down in the front? Um, and so there's, different combinations. And just because you know someone who's gone through this procedure doesn't mean that that's going to be the procedure for you because massive weight loss patients or any weight loss patients all have different patterns of skin excess. Mm -hmm. And so it's really tailored specifically to those patients. How many locations can you treat at one time in one surgery? It just depends. So today I did one, two, three-ish, I would say. Um, but it, big, big, but big. Oh, but very big. big. Yeah, the full, <laughs> the full arm. So incision all the way here. Yeah. Or, you know, rest lift with an implant, uh, oh, tummy wow. tuck all the way around and up and down in the front, that flirt -a That's a lot. How long did that take? Probably about seven hours. Wow. And this is probably a silly question, but she stays in the hospital or does she go home. He stays overnight with us. So we have okay. six operating rooms, four overnight bays, and there's mm -hmm. staff with her all night long. I'll be in the morning here in the morning to check on her discharger. Um, but she gets fluids overnight, gets help moving around, walking around. And then she actually has um, our aftercare nursing team helping to take care of her. Which is oh, great. wow. So she'll go home tomorrow and have your support. Yep. So there's a company that we partner with. So if you're scared mm -hmm. about what it's going to be like at home, we have resources as well. But I just like to reiterate that, um, yeah, again, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm sitting here thinking about other myths that I hear commonly and mm -hmm. I, I can't, I can't come up with one specifically, but just to reiterate what Dr. Cleveland said, you want to go to a surgeon that does a lot of weight loss surgery that knows how to handle the physiologic changes that occur. And that's why we are grading of our facility. We have 24 hour care here as an example. Yeah. If you don't come here, go somewhere that does a lot of weight loss surgery because the fluid shifts that occur during surgery, um, the amount of fluid that we're giving a patient, the amount of fluid that they're giving back, that needs to be monitored closely. And so mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons we keep folks overnight. And there's actually rules, um, laws for that specifically, and our facility is able to do that. Um, but we can handle huge amounts of surgery. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Cleveland and I did a case, we did some mental lipo. I know you'd mentioned earlier before we started yeah. recording. So we did some mental liposuction on a patient. Um, which can be done awake. We had talked about that um, before we started recording. It can takes about 45 minutes. You numb up the neck, 
making a little poke incision here and two behind the ears and you can liposuction that um, tissue, the excess fat. Then we have some treatments where we can tighten up the skin um, called J-plasma and Vaser, which are liposuction cannulas, but they help tighten up skin after, um, after removal of the fat tissue. So we did that. We did a breast reduction and lift. We full liposuctioned her whole back, injected some, did a little buttock augmentation with fat grafting and then did a florally abdominoplasty. And so that took us, I don't know, like eight hours or something like that wow. to do that. But here we are able to combine surgeries. We can combine surgeons. And so we're able to get a lot of surgery done at once safely. The most important mm -hmm. thing is to make sure that it's safe. We are absolutely, number one, we want safety. Number two, we want the best possible results for our patients. Mm-hmm. Okay, so talking about the jaw, you can take up that skin and that fat that's stuck in the jaw within mm -hmm. about 45 minutes and you can do it while you're awake. You mm -hmm. can as a, as yeah. a solo, as an individual yeah. procedure. And that's so great what, for, yeah, that's great for some patients. So some patients get down in weight and they don't have a lot of skin access. Maybe yeah. they just have a couple pockets of fat somewhere. Um, you know, I'll use myself as an example. So no matter how thin or in shape that I get, I will always have like love handles. Mm -hmm. I call it the band love handles. No matter what, I just always have those pockets of fat. Even, you know, I'm 5'10 and in high school, I'm like, I was like 125 pounds. <laughs> and did I have those love handles? Yes, I did. Um, and so what I will say is liposuction can sometimes be a big benefit just for those little areas of stubborn fat. And so the Underneath the chin area, the jawline can be a great area to kind of sculpt. It can really make the patients feel a lot more like themselves too, because that might be an area where they just carry a little bit more, no matter, you know, they get down, but some people say, oh, it's the, you know, Martin neck or the, the right. John Jones neck or whatever you want, you know, some, some hereditary yeah. thing. We all have yeah. Same thing with the Cleban love handles, I'm telling you. So that's where liposuction can be really helpful to just touch up a little area of stubborn fat. As Dr. Baker said, it can be uncomfortable, but patients do great. And well, the area under kind of in the neck area doesn't tend to have that burning sensation for whatever reason. It tends to just have some numbness, um, very minimal downtime, very minimal discomfort afterwards as far as just a little compression garment day and night for about a week and then a little compression at night for another week or two. So, so this is, this is really interesting. I, I have this philosophy that we lose weight in the opposite direction that we put it on. So if we put it on in the belly, the love handles, the chin first, it's kind of the last to go, which is why um, you can get to a pretty lean weight, but if you just naturally have it there, it's going to still be there. And then it starts to fill up a little more. So my question is, let's say you get down to your optimal weight and you still have the love handles or you have this little pocket in your jaw, uh, and then you start to put on 20 pounds. Is it still going to fill up there first or does the liposuction change the direction of the filling up? Yeah. So the way that liposuction works is that it's permanent removal of adipocytes or mm -hmm. fat cells. And so we all have a certain number of adipose fat cells in our body. And the way that, you know, weight gain happens and weight loss happens is that those fat cells are expanding and contracting basically. Mm -hmm. And so fat removal with liposuction actually removes those fat cells. And so now you have a, a 
a smaller population of fat cells in in that area yeah. compared to what you had before. So as you gain weight, you may not notice it as much in that area. It mm -hmm. doesn't mean that there there's no ability to gain weight in that area, yeah, but it's going to be less of a spot. Right. Yeah. 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 The, we're we're trying to decrease the population. Right. <laughs> The reservoir is much smaller there, um, uh -huh. but there, there's theories that doing liposuction in one area that consider fat grafting in another, because um, just in terms of ghrelin and other hormones that regulate satiety and things like that, that maybe it's worth doing that. So um, often if we are able to do some liposuction in the back, do a little bit of buttock fat grafting um, or breast fat grafting, those are options to help um, balance where fat was. Mm -hmm. Put fat where you would like it, take it where you don't. I know it always goes on where we don't want it to be on. Isn't yeah. that the usual? And that's what we can change. We're, that's, that's one of the big things is that we can kind of change your proportions so that as you have little fluctuations, you're, you're able to kind of manage it. So, yeah. Okay. So you guys briefly mentioned, Dr. Baker, you mentioned hormones. And my question is, do hormone changes, specifically, you know, in our group of people, usually 45 plus, Mm -hmm. impact i know it impacts weight loss but does it impact plastic surgery outcomes at all do hormones play a part um so to, to answer your question to an extent um if folks are on hormone therapy especially women we ought, we don't want um I, I guess i would say that impacting plastic surgery so to answer your question um, we often have folks that are on hormone replacement therapy. We have the estrogen, for example, we have them stopped yeah. because it's an increased risk of a blood clot. And so in the immediate pre-op and post-op period, we do have folks stop um, mm. estrogen supplementation um, because of the risk, uh, surgical risk uh, with getting a blood clot. But in terms of does hormone affect, absolutely. Um, and so the going through menopause, for example, there's big fluctuations that occur with weight, um, mm -hmm. easier to put on weight, harder to take weight off as we get older, less testosterone. Absolutely. Those are for sure um, part of it. And so I'm sorry, with your question, what was your second part there that you're asking? It was just, does it, does it impact plastic surgery outcomes specifically? Outcomes specifically. I, in terms of if you're on supplementation, as I said, with estrogen, we worry about that. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I would say that as hormone fluctuation occurs, as folks get older, I would not say specifically that it's estrogen decrease that causes more complications or slower healing yeah. or something like that. It's the okay. overall physiology that uh, the physiologic changes that occur with aging in general, things just don't heal as quickly. Um, and so we just need to take a little more time with folks that are older, but that 45, 55 year old age group, I would not consider that. This is the 65, 75 year old age group where folks are gonna be a little slower to heal and um, bounce back after a big surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, that's, that's very true. One interesting thing that you may not think about though, is that our older patients actually scar better. So most yeah. people don't know this, but you know, Patients who are older, who have a little bit more um, skin laxity, but it's not even the skin laxity. What it has to do with is actually there's less inflammation. There's less of an inflammatory phase of wound healing that happens in the elderly population. Mm -hmm. So our older patients actually tend to have the most beautiful scars. And the patients that have the worst scars are the teenagers. So if I have a teenager really? coming in that had a cut from, you know, I just had somebody that was like in a lacrosse or field hockey or something. Mm -hmm. 
they have a lot more inflammation that is happening from, you know, hormones affecting their sebum production and acne and all of those sorts mm -hmm. of things. So they tend to actually scar a little bit worse and you would never guess it. I <laughs> so, would. And so that's really, it's a really interesting thing. So our, our patients that are a little bit older tend to have the prettiest, finest scars out of anybody. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. What about non-surgical options? We've talked a lot about surgical options, but what if someone's just like, you know what? I'd like my skin to look a little bit better. Maybe I want to set myself up for the best success during weight loss to have as little excess skin as possible. What are things that people can do in non-surgical ways to benefit their skin? So, so I think, you know, what you're saying as far as kind of what you put in your body is important as well. Mm -hmm. So making sure that you're getting all your micronutrients, your vitamins, um, making sure you have plenty of protein, all of those sorts of things are going to make your skin look better. And then it depends on what area of skin we're talking about. And so there's different treatments for different areas of skin. So if we're focusing on kind of the entire body versus the face, there's kind of two different kind of algorithms that we go down. Okay. And so if we're talking about the face, um, there's things I usually say for facial aging, which is included with kind of weight loss. There's kind of three main things that you want to do. You want to make sure that you're using a retinoid. So usually retin-A, something like that, that helps with skin cell turnover. It helps with fine lines and wrinkles, which as we lose weight, you may see is more apparent as we start to lose some fat in the face that fills those wrinkles out. Um, using a, an antioxidant, which is usually a kind of a vitamin C and E combination, and then using sunscreen. Sunscreen is super important to help with the appearance of the skin and also staying hydrated as well kind of throughout the day will help that skin look nice and plump. But those are the things that are kind of anti-aging that are really important as well with patients who are losing weight because they tend to suffer from some of the same sort of things. Loss of volume, kind of drooping, sagging. Those are some of the things that can be done. For the body, not quite as clear as far as the topical things are concerned, but we do have other things that we can do as far as microneedling, which we can also use on the face. We can add a little bit of radio frequency energy with that, and that's called Morpheus. And so that can be used mm -hmm. kind of all over the body, including the face, to add some tightening to the skin. Um, there's other things as well that can be done as far as we have some, some newer treatments and things that we're experimenting with on the body for skin removal that doesn't involve surgery. Um, but a lot of the body kind of treatments end up being surgical mm -hmm. and the amount of change that we end up seeing with these non-surgical treatments are not as great. And for some patients, they don't need much. So some of these non-surgical options can be wonderful, um, where, but they often need multiple treatments with those. Yeah. The, for the ideal patient for the, um, the non-surgical um, options are somebody who has a small amount of skin laxity and is looking for a smaller improvement. And so it's all about uh, what the expectations, what folks, what the patient's goals are. And so as Dr. Cleveland said, the radio frequency microneedling is an option, but we have some laser options, which are um, non-invasive. We have something called Elicor, where one of the first practices in North Carolina to offer this, which essentially is removing cores of tissue um, through through needles and that causes collagen reproduction and causes skin tightening. Um, 
and then liposuction would be the next phase uh, in terms of invasiveness. And so and we have some energy devices we can add to liposuctioning um, that improve the skin contraction. Because essentially, um, liposuction that will do two things. It'll remove fat cells, and then it causes a bunch of tunnels. And those tunnels, as they scar, our bodies contract when we heal. And those scar tunnels um, contract in and give skin tightening as well. We can also supplement that contraction, that skin tightening with a couple of energy devices that we use here frequently. Um, one is called Vaser, one is called J Plasma, and they both will add some heat to the skin, um, the deeper layers, and then cause some contraction. And so those, and then after that is surgical, but uh, you know, as we said before, um, for folks that have lost a lot of weight, it's typically that they're going to surgical interventions are going to give the result that they're looking for, mm -hmm. but it is patient specific and patient dependent. And it just requires a consult and we discuss the options and what the expectations and goals are. What about taking collagen? I have clients ask me all the time if they take collagen, put it in their coffee capsules, all different forms. Some have said, um, or I've heard that more marine sources of collagen are better than others. What do you guys have to say to that? I mean, I take collagen in my coffee because it's it doesn't taste like anything. Yeah, I need protein, and so it gives me protein in the morning, which mm -hmm. I need for a long day. Yeah. Um, I don't. I haven't personally noticed any benefits for my skin. There have been studies, some studies looking at collagen, um, orally consumed collagen mm -hmm. in the skin or, and its effects on the skin, showing some some benefit. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be the be all end all and you have to do it constantly. So as soon as you stop, you're kind of back to baseline. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that our bodies are, kind of work is after the age of about 25 to 30, we're constantly losing collagen. So you're constantly in a battle. And so all of these things that we're doing to kind of increase collagen is just trying to kind of fill that cup that has a mm -hmm. hole in the bottom, just keep leaking out. So there are all sorts of collagen stimulating products that we do have too, things like Sculptra and some of the newer, um, even SkinVive that helps kind of create a hydrated look to the skin. Um, it's a kind of long-term skin hydrator by one of the filler companies that provides luminosity to the skin for about six months. So once again, it's just constantly kind of going in and out after the age of about 25. Um, but the the, those non-invasive options I was discussing earlier, like um, lasering, microneedling, radiofrequency microneedling, and this Helicor, um, which is removing cores of tissue, all of those are designed to stimulate collagen production. It yeah. essentially does that by causing an injury to the skin. And so right. we're injuring the, we injure the skin, we either heat it up or we are um, poking holes in it, for lack of a better term, to get, the, to get a wound, a very controlled wound to occur that the body then deposits more collagen into it's it's a scar and so yeah. on a very microscopic level it sounds so it's pleasant like, i know I it's mean, actually not bad it's not yeah. so our, our patients really i to, to be fair i actually did on my mom i just used lots of personal stories for these sorts of uh -huh. i uh did eloquor on my mom's face and she was like yeah that was fine yeah not really? like afterwards it looks kind of gnarly for a few days but mm -hmm. A little scabby, but we do topical anesthesia. We do yeah. injectable anesthesia. I mean, I have not had Elicor, but we've all had um, all these non-invasive treatments on ourselves or, yes. or, or family members. And so members. we're here. We're here to experience it with the patients. Yes. Well, seeing that collagen just continues to decrease, it's probably in your future, isn't it? 
Exactly. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So any last key considerations that people should contemplate if they're thinking about plastic surgery? Like any tips, any advice for those who are thinking about coming in and getting plastic surgery? So what I would say is if you're thinking about it, you know, make sure you have your support system around you. Go talk to either a board eligible or board certified plastic surgeon, not, you know, a cosmetic surgeon. It's a very different training program. So we go through very rigorous training and board certification process to be able to offer the safest plastic surgery possible. Not saying that there's not safe cosmetic surgeons out there, but it is a little bit more reliable to find somebody that is a board certified or board eligible plastic surgeon. And then go in and have a conversation, see what your options are and make sure that you don't just talk to one plastic surgeon, unless you get, get along with them great. And you think, okay, that's exactly what I was thinking. Okay. This is great. It's okay to get more than one opinion and we welcome it because we want our patients to be informed. So I don't mind if a patient comes to me and is like, well, you're my fifth consultation. That's fine with me. I'm okay with that. And it's just, I want the patients to get what they need and what they want. And so if it was me, you know, I would say definitely do that because that'll get you so that you can find that surgeon who really is going to listen to what your needs are and take care of you the way that you need to be taken care of. And don't always go for the cheapest option. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought about it um, many times. Like how, if I were a patient, how would I find a plastic surgeon? And mm -hmm. it's daunting, overwhelming because you go on the internet, you look at reviews. So I would say that a couple things that are options now that are readily available. So there's always the social media websites where we post all our work. So finding a surgeon that you think does good work is mm -hmm. a way of finding somebody that uh, at least getting an initial consult and then coming in for the consult. And if they are explaining the risks and benefits and the realistic expectations and take those seriously, then I think that's a surgeon that I would consider as opposed to somebody who glosses over the risks, because this is real surgery. We're doing real surgery. There are real risks, but we um, do it often and we do it well. And so we will manage those risks and try to decrease those as much as possible. But you need to have a surgeon who understands those and does take those into serious consideration. And so I guess those would be the two tips. And then in terms of the weight loss um, population specifically, I think that the, um, the journey through body dysmorphia, that this is the final journey. This is a, often the final step after a long and often very difficult um, journey of both emotional, psychological, and physical uh, pain. And so we are here to celebrate you at the very end. That's awesome. Thank you guys. Where can people learn more about you and view all the wonderful things you've done for folks? Well, there's two different ways to find us. So you can either find us on our website at hkbsurgery.com, I believe. Yep. Probably. <laughs> um, or on our individual Instagrams, which gives you an insight not only to who we are as people, but also our work and the type of results that you can expect. I always love when patients can find pictures of similar patients to how they, they're starting off looking like. Yeah. Because it gives them a realistic expectation of where they could maybe end up. Will and you share your social media accounts? Yes. So it's on Instagram. It's Dr. Just Dr. Shauna Kleban. And that's S-H-A-W-N-A and K-L-E-B-A-N. So it's a long one. Mm -hmm. um, but 
that's that's our Instagram, and it's also HKB. I think it's HKB. HKBsurgery.com. HKB Surgery Instagram. H- yes. And then mine is Brett Doctor. So it's Dr. Dot, and then Brett B R E T T Baker. Great, and we'll include include those in the description too. Perfect. HKB Cosmetic Surgery is our um, our office, which posts a lot of our work from all of us. Great. We have several locations. We're currently in Charlotte, and we have another location in the South Park area, as well as several locations across North Carolina, even into Tennessee and Texas. Wow, you guys are busy. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're all busy, which we love. So thank you guys for coming on, especially after a really long, busy day. I've learned a ton and I'm sure everyone's going to get great benefit from this episode. Thank you guys so much. Ashley, thanks for having us. Of course. Great chatting with you. Thank you. Well, that was great. I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you're listening to this from a podcast platform, please review, please follow us. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe and like. And any questions or comments that you've got on this content, please drop below in the comments section. I love to answer and see and read all of your comments. All right, remember, you've got to step up to make the change. Lead with your heart, train your mind, and do not negotiate with your body. I'll see you next time.